As a leader, you have dreams, aspirations, and audacious goals. One of those is to develop yourself into the best leader you can be for the ones you're responsible to lead. So you wake up in the morning, eat your Wheaties, and get ready to run out that door for that self-development marathon in the name of being the best you can be. And that's great. But when you're at mile four, and that starting block enthusiasm is gone, and you have 22 miles left to run, do you have the tools with you to help you see the race through? Hi, I'm Jeremy Rivers, and this is a Passages Leadership Challenge. What good is the pursuit of self-development if you don't have the right tools to see it through? Welcome to the third week of our Passages at-Home Leadership Challenge, where we've been focusing on self-leadership. In the first two weeks, we discussed various elements of self-awareness. You need to be self-aware to be able to lead yourself. Today's episode is going to be the most practical of the series. Today, we're going to discuss tools for the self-leadership journey, specifically three tools and how, if applied to your self-leadership journey, can be the difference in you finishing that self-development marathon or leave you discouraged walking back home after a few miles. Finally, at the end of this episode, I'll give an example of how all three of these tools can come together nicely by discussing the phases of the Passages program to give us a picture of these tools in action. So, let's begin. All right, so let's talk about tool number one, preparation. Arguably, one of the most important things for you to do when you're setting out to accomplish something is the work before the work, preparation. Let's keep using running a marathon as an example for a second. Let's say one thing that you're trying to improve on for yourself is your health. And you've decided that the best method for you is to run a marathon. You know that it's going to force you to exercise and eat right over the course of several months. It's a great goal. It's challenging and will help you develop some great habits along the way. So what do you do? Just walk out the door and start running? Of course you don't. First, you go buy some awesome shoes. You find a good running plan. Uh, You definitely enter into the runner cult community uh, on Instagram with a hashtag Sunday run day post. Uh, You possibly invest in a coach. Uh, And then you lay out your workouts uh, with your calendar. After all, you have another life that you're trying to live here. You're not just a marathon runner. The work before the work makes all the difference between goals becoming realities and habits Verse just being another thing you hoped you could do or be. In your head, identify one or two things that you're currently trying to improve on. I'll pause while you think of it. Okay, now that you have it in your head, what does your prep game look like for those items? Are you the type of person that just wings it? Or do you pause for a hot second and get organized and ready before you jump off the starting block of self-development. Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian of all time. And being a former gymnast, I really geek out over the Olympics and stories about Olympians. Phelps was the perfect storm as Olympics goes. He had the body of a swimmer and the drive to be a champion. In the book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg goes into detail to explain uh, what Michael's routine was before a race, the preparation. 
It starts as soon as he wakes up the day of a race and leads all the way up to the starting block. A ton of preparation. One thing that was always an intentional piece of his preparation and training was visualizing. He would visualize the starting block, what it felt like, jumping into the pool, feeling his strokes, and counting the exact amount before his famous explosive turnarounds. Here's a powerful story about one of Michael's victories that lays out the power of such meaningful preparation. Back in Beijing, it was 9.56 a.m., four minutes before the race's start, and Phelps stood behind his starting block, bouncing slightly on his toes. When the announcer said his name, Phelps stepped onto the block, as he always did before a race, and then stepped down, as he always did. He swung his arms three times, as he had before every race since he was 12 years old. He stepped up on the blocks again, got into his stance, and, when the gun sounded, leapt. Phelps knew something was wrong as soon as he hit the water. There was moisture inside of his goggles. He couldn't tell if they were leaking from the top or the bottom, but as he broke the water's surface and began swimming, he hoped the leak wouldn't become too bad. By the second turn, however, everything was getting blurry. As he approached the third turn and final lap, the cups of his goggles were completely filled. Phelps couldn't see anything. Not the line along the pool's bottom, not the black tee marking the approaching wall. He couldn't see how many strokes were left. For most swimmers, losing your sight in the middle of an Olympic final would be cause for panic. Phelps was calm. Everything else that day had gone according to plan. The leaking goggles were a minor deviation, but one for which he was prepared. Bowman, Phelps' coach, had once made Phelps swim in a Michigan pool in the dark, believing that he needed to be ready for any surprise. Some of the videotapes in Phelps' mind had featured problems like this. He had mentally rehearsed how he would respond to a goggle failure. As he started his last lap, Phelps estimated how many strokes the final push would require, 19 or 20, maybe 21, and started counting. He felt totally relaxed as he swam at full strength. Midway through the lap, he began to increase his effort, a final eruption that had become one of his main techniques in overwhelming opponents. At 18 strokes, he started anticipating the wall. He could hear the crowd roaring, but since he was blind, he had no idea if they were cheering for him or someone else. 19 strokes, then 20. It felt like he needed one more. That's what the videotape in his head said. He made a 21st huge stroke, glided with his arms outstretched and touched the wall. He had timed it perfectly. When he ripped off his goggles and looked up at the scoreboard, it said WR, world record, next to his name. He had won another gold. After the race, a reporter asked what it had felt like to swim blind. It felt like I imagined it would, Phelps said. It was one additional victory in a lifetime full of small wins. I love that story so much. Preparation is powerful. Preparation is a practice that will compound its value for you over time. Whether it's your day-to-day -day routines or a specific goal you are pursuing in a season, how much work are you putting in before it's time to work? Now, before we move on from this tool, to our next one, let's talk about some practical things in uh, the world of preparation that you can consider when you're, if you're trying to improve your preparation game. First, 
time. We talked about Peter Drucker uh, last week uh, in the book he wrote, Effective Executive, and this is what he says about time. Effective executives do not start with tasks. They start with time. Time is our most valuable resource, and if we can prepare how we plan to use that resource to our advantage, it will go a long way in seeing what we've designed into our calendars actually become realities. The second practical point would be write it down. Now, this is something you've heard before because you're a leader. Write out the plan and put it on your refrigerator. This process of writing it down does a few things for us. One, it forces us to organize the details, thus giving us clarity and vision for that goal. Second, it commits different aspects of our brain and senses to the development journey. You're writing something out physically. You're committing more of yourself to the process. Third, now it's staring you in the face. And this goes a long way when it comes to accountability. Third practical uh, idea would be invest in the journey. I mentioned that when I was a running coach, the first thing I would do is tell clients to go get some new apparel, some shoes, some running pants, an athletic shirt. When you're willing to invest into something, into a self-development journey, you will be more motivated to see it through. Lastly, get a second opinion and commit your plan to a human. Now, I know we do not like this one. I don't like it personally, but you know as well as I do that if you commit your idea or a plan to a person, you're going to feel obligated to do it. So find someone and have them give you some feedback on your plan and invite them to keep you to your plan. That leads me to our second tool for the day. I wanna pull out one segment of that prep process that has a unique power and deserves its own space and attention as a tool in your tool belt. Tool number two that we will discuss today is people. Self-leadership has a connotation of, well, self, but I'd like to break the notion that self-leadership is synonymous with alone leadership. Self-development is not alone development. The best self-development occurs when you include companions and mentors in the process. We reject this step often because it's incredibly uncomfortable and makes us tremendously vulnerable. It goes against our instinct to invite someone into an area of our lives we're trying to improve. But the power of someone else knowing your pursuit and your plan is unmatched. Frankly, it's in your biology. I'm in the middle of reading a book called Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. It was given to me by my friend Ben Jacobson, and it's one of those books that you have to take slowly because there's so much to unpack in every page. Here's an excerpt from the book discussing the important role of others in your life. A myth surrounding vulnerability is, I can go it alone. One line of defense that I encounter is, I don't need to be vulnerable because I don't need anyone. I'm with you. Some days I wish it were true. The problem, however, is that needing no one pushes against everything we know about human neurobiology. We are hardwired for connection. From our mere neurons to language, we are social species. In the absence of authentic connection, we suffer. 
And by authentic, I mean the kind of connection that doesn't require hustling for acceptance and changing who we are to fit in. I dug into the work of the neuroscience researcher John C. when I was writing Braving the Wilderness. He dedicated his career to understanding loneliness, belonging, and connection, and he makes the argument that we don't derive strength from our rugged individualism, but rather from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence over independence. He explained, to grow to adulthood as a social species, including humans, is not to become autonomous and solitary. It's to become the one on whom others can depend. Whether we know it or not, our brain and biology have been shaped to favor this outcome. We really weren't born to walk alone. I'm a firm believer of companions and mentors in your self-leadership journey. They keep you encouraged and accountable. They bring you a perspective that you will not and cannot have on your own. They will stretch you while also keeping you anchored in reality. And that is a hard tension to manage on your own. Brene has been teaching me that this process, vulnerability, is not an open invitation to your life. These companions and mentors have to be the right people, the ones that are good for you, pull the best out of you and want to see you succeed. So a question right now to you is, who is in your circle of companions and mentors? Some say that we are simply the combination of the top five closest people in our lives. So do you like your combo? Would you say they're the right people for you? If you were to audit this circle right now, who would you eliminate? If you were to eliminate someone, um, that you feel are not truly the best for you, who would you want to add as a companion and mentor to your circle? What type of person do you feel that maybe you're missing in your life? These are some of the bravest questions you can ask yourself. And then once you find the answer, they're some of the bravest decisions you can ever make for your life. God looked at Adam and said, it was not good for man to be alone. So get your people the right people and get on with it. So we've discussed two different tools so far for our self-leadership journey. The final tool I want to mention for us today is reflection. Like preparation, this is a pause in the process. The moment you assess an experience and regroup, we ask ourselves questions like, what happened? How did I get there? Uh, who was I with? What went well? What didn't go well? What could I have done better? I was at a conference a long time ago, and the speaker introduced me to an interesting activity that I've kept in practice for many years. It's been a powerful tool I've used to organize a particular self-reflection process that has been helpful in identifying specific areas of my life I want to work, grow, and improve on. Now, I can't remember what he called it, but I have personally adopted the name Life Audit, uh, which sounds thrilling, right? But basically, if you can picture in your head uh, a pie chart, uh, this pie chart has eight spokes. The spokes are spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual, social, financial, career slash legacy, and finally, family. 
Every four to six weeks, I'll write these categories down in my journal, and I will assign uh, each category a number between one and 10. 10 representing the ideal status of that category for my life. After I give uh, that assessment and go down the list, I'll thumb through my journal, and I'll try and find the last time I did this. And I'll take those numbers, my past numbers, and put them right next to the current assessment. Then I sit back and I look at the results. And I have a conversation uh, that goes a little bit like this. Okay, today I'm rating myself a seven spiritually. Why? Last month I rated myself an eight. What happened in the last 30 days that took me down a notch? What could I do in the next 30 days uh, to get me back up to an eight? Okay, going down to family, I see I'm a nine. Um, That's awesome. Why is that so high? What am I doing well? And how can I keep that going? This process fits my personality well. It's organized, it addresses all the areas of my life, uh, and I can see my progress at a glance from month to month. Now, the life audit, it's not a numbers game. Uh, There's no real point system here. The goal is that these numbers lead to interesting thoughts and assist my reflection time. Now, doing this as a single activity is very helpful. However, the overall goal is to do this activity or any reflection practice consistently over time. Developing the habit of reflecting on your life frequently, your behavior, your outcomes, and considering how you'd like to change yourself to grow. When you become self-aware in a reflective process, it gives you so much more ownership over your own life, and you will be equipped to steer it in the direction you want to go. As I'm told, insanity is simply doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So reflect and don't be insane. (laughs) Take the honest, hard look at yourself and grow from experiences of life. Now, the way I go about my uh, reflective process may not be your flavor. Maybe it's too analytical, too robotic, and that's fine. Uh, This is not about a specific method. It's about finding consistent times to reflect on your life and inviting your experiences to give you an education on your journey of self-development. The three tools we've discussed today are actually modeled well uh, in the phases of our passages program. Preparation. In our pre-trip phase, participants take a pre-trip course to orient them to the biblical and modern themes that they will experience on the ground in Israel in order to prepare them to make the most of their nine-day experience. On the ground, they do not walk through that experience alone. There are many companions and mentors along the way. Uh, there's, they're guided through the country by expert Israeli tour guides, uh, and they are led in powerful moments of spiritual devotion with our Passages faculty in locations such as the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Beatitudes. And finally, they're supported by our amazing Passages fellows who are recent alumni that have been trained as peer leaders to walk alongside our participants in only the way that someone who has been in their exact shoes can. Now, we call this team our bus leadership team, and they are there to encourage, support, and challenge our new friends on the ground in Israel. Finally, all roads lead to reflecting. Our program is not simply a trip. 
It's an experience meant to change lives and ultimately lead to the next experience and the next. Our third phase, the capstone phase of the Passages program, begins when they land on the ground back home after their Israel trip. And they are encouraged to process and tell their story in order to continue to engage in the things that change their lives on the ground. Preparation, people, and reflection. It's a cycle. It's a process. One that helps lead us upward toward richer, more meaningful lives. Preparation is that work before the work that helps us make the most of our journey. People, they're an invaluable element to help us see our journey through. And reflection is the part in the journey where great leaders embrace their past experiences as an educator. Rinse, repeat, and pursue the best life you can. Okay. Leader, are you ready to self-lead? Just as we've been doing in the rest of this series, I have some reflective questions for you to think through. And uh, in the name of putting our money where our mouth is today, maybe you can grab these questions, call a friend, a companion, a mentor, and talk them through together. Before you head out the door to run whatever self-development marathon you want to run, make sure you have some shoes on, a plan, and a buddy that's gonna ask you how you did when you get back home. Thank you for joining me this week. If you found anything in this conversation encouraging, uh, fun, or it gave you some sort of value, I would just ask that you would share it with someone else that you think would enjoy it too. Um, But also we would like to hear from you. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram, uh, on your favorite social media platform, at Passages Israel is our handle, or you can, um, you can shoot us an email at media at passagesisrael.org. We would love to hear your thoughts. So that's it for this week, and I look forward to chatting with you next time. 